It's episode 33 of the Keto for Women show. You're listening to the Keto for Women show, and I'm your host and nutritionist, Sean Miner. This show is designed to empower women to find their own expression of the keto diet to maximize their health and happiness. Now let's get started with today's episode. Hey there, friends. Welcome back, and thanks for joining me, as always, for another episode of Keto for Women. This time, we're moving on from part one of All About Ketones to part two of All About Ketones, and this time looking at the testing options out there, which one is best for you, what your numbers mean, all that good stuff. We're breaking it down. And this comes on the heels of last week's episode number 32, which if you haven't listened to is a really, really important one. It's a little sciencey, maybe a little boring, but it's important because I think we really need to know more about why we're doing what we're doing. So us Keto for Womeners, why are we getting into ketosis? Why are we following a keto diet? Why do we care what the numbers on our blood ketone meter say beyond just, well, because it's for weight loss. Like that's a very common answer if someone asks why you're doing keto. And there's about a thousand other reasons for doing a ketogenic diet besides that. And I also think that it's important if you are someone who wants to use this diet to be an advocate for other people using it for their health, then it's important that you are at least somewhat able to explain some of the benefits that come with getting into a ketogenic state and why. So I think having a little bit of knowledge and education on that is so important as we move forward and kind of make this a movement, quite honestly. I think we really need to have that info under our belt. And so that's why I took the time to kind of get it into layman's terms, take these studies that I did some research on and put them into a way that we can kind of explain it to someone that has no idea why we're doing what we're doing. And I think we can all agree that when we have the ability to explain it, a little bit easier and to see people's faces kind of change as we talk about the mental health benefits or the skin health benefits or the cancer prevention benefits. When we can talk about that with a little bit of education behind it, it's pretty cool to see that. It's pretty cool to see people get on board and it's kind of a very empowering place for you to be as well, to have that knowledge. So While it may not be the most fun episode to listen to, I do think it's really important that you do so so that you have that information to go out into the world with, but also just for your own benefit so you know why you're doing what you're doing, which is also really, really important. Now we'll move on and talk about all these different testing options, and we'll do that in this episode. First, I would just have a few quick announcements. Before we get going with the show, let's chat about the sponsor of this episode of the Keto for Women show, Health IQ. Health IQ is an insurance company that helps health conscious people like runners, cyclists, weightlifters, and healthy eaters get lower rates on their life insurance. Health IQ can save their customers up to 33% because they have found scientific proof showing physically active people have a 56% lower risk of heart disease, 20% lower risk of cancer, and a 58% lower risk of diabetes compared to people who are inactive. Like saving money on your car insurance for being a good driver, Health IQ saves you money on your life insurance for living a health-conscious lifestyle. I've partnered with Health IQ because I'm a huge fan of their philosophy on recognizing those that take their health seriously, like us Keto for Womeners, and rewarding us for doing so by saving us money on our life insurance rates. Head to healthiq.com slash keto to see if you qualify and to support the show. There, you will take a quick lifestyle quiz, which will determine your potential savings. That's health iq.com slash keto to learn more. As I mentioned last week, just a reminder, this is the last week to get your hands on the Butcher Box free bacon promotion they're doing through January. So since it's the end of January, if you're listening to this close to when it airs, last call for free bacon, basically. 
I love ButcherBox. It is one of my top three probably favorite companies out there because they take such good care of their animals and they provide such good high quality meat to your doorstep. Literally don't even have to leave the house in order to get this basically farm fresh meat right at your fingertips. And so this is a company that I use in the winter months when I can't get my hands on the meat from the farm down the street, which is, of course, always going to be number one. But for me, I live in Colorado and it snows, so we don't have that option year round. And in those months, I call on ButcherBox, I get myself some boxes of meat delivered to my door, and it is the best, most high quality meat not only based on their standards, but based on the flavor. I have never had meat that tasted like this in my life. Last night, I made the filet mignon, special little night with a friend, and it was the best meat I think I've ever had, ever. It was so good, so perfect, and it's just because they really provide a good, high-quality, stable environment for their animals so that then they come to us ready to eat in a very healthy way, which is so, so important. And I talk about this a lot when it comes to food quality, but the meat is just not something that you can compromise on and keep yourself out of an inflammatory state. If you want to anti-inflame your body, really take a deep, hard look at the quality of meats you are eating. That includes chicken and pork and turkey, beef, all of it, salmon, fish, all of it. Take a good, hard look at the quality and make sure it is of the highest quality you can get. And that will make a huge difference. And ButcherBox will do that for you. So just wanted to put it out there. If you are interested, there will be a link in the show notes to receive your free bacon. And what they're doing is throughout the entire year, 2018, if you sign up now before the end of January, every single time you order for the whole year, you will be sent a free package of bacon in all of your orders for the whole year, which is pretty cool. That's kind of like my dream come true, actually. So <laughs> I think you would love it. And you can head to the show notes to get that link to go order your free bacon. There are over 90,000 people missing at any time, and over half a million are reported missing every year. And that's just in the United States. I'm Mike Morford. And I'm Jess Betancourt. And in our podcast, Missing Persons, we discuss cases of people who have gone missing under mysterious circumstances. And we're joined in each episode by guests who are either related to the missing person, investigating their disappearance, or advocating for answers in the case. Missing Persons is available everywhere you listen to podcasts, and there are dozens of episodes to binge on right now. Subscribe today so you don't miss an episode. One other thing I wanted to mention, just because, you know, I like to occasionally add in a little bit of a tip for you all. And of course, what will always be the biggest question I think I get is how do I add more fat to make myself get into ketosis? And I personally, because I've been doing this for a while now, find it pretty darn easy. But one of my go-tos that I think kind of gets overlooked, it's not something that gets kind of put out there all that often in the keto space, is chia seed pudding. Chia seed pudding is so good, so easy. You can make it ahead of time. So even if you're someone that doesn't have time to make breakfast or you know, pack a snack or something, it is already pretty much done for you. You make it the night before and it's ready to go. I have basically a kind of framework that any chia seed pudding will do, will work, and then you can add in different flavors and spices and things like that to change it up a little bit. But the basic framework, here we go. So if you have never made chia seed pudding or you just want to know to have it around, get your pen and paper. I'll wait. Okay, there we go. We got some pen and paper handy. It is one can of coconut milk. Obviously, we're going to go full fat. If you can find coconut cream, even better. But it's just a normal sized can, like what a Campbell's soup can would be. Just whatever the normal size is. I don't know the exact ounces. I want to say 13.5, but I'm not positive on that. So just a normal can. If you can find clean coconut milk, even better, which would be without guar gums or other gums, it would literally just say coconut, milk, and water. 
coconut and water are the two ingredients, that would be ideal. And then basically the ratio of how much fat is contained is what makes it light or cream, that variance. Grab yourself a can of that, as highest of percentage fat as you can find, and then get yourself some chia seeds, organic chia seeds, super easy to get. They're pretty much everywhere. You can get them in bulk sections or you can get bags of them already prepackaged. Get yourself some chia seeds and then you're going to put a half a cup of the chia seeds into a bowl or jar, something like that, along with the whole can of coconut milk. And then about a quarter of that can, fill that with water and then put that in the mixture as well. That's the framework to making chia seed pudding. It's so easy. One can of coconut milk, half a cup of chia seeds, and a little bit of water, about a quarter cup probably of water. Easy, right? From there, you can add in whatever sounds good. I just kind of randomly put stuff in there. I'll do cinnamon and nutmeg, cloves, and I'll make more of a spice-ish type more of like a chai-spiced chia pudding, which is one of my favorites. I'll add in coconut flakes, cacao nibs, other things to make it even more fatty, which is awesome, even more ketogenic, we could say. You can add in actual cacao powder. Of course, you can add in sweeteners if you need to. A few drops of stevia usually does the trick, or you can use the yacon syrup that I'm a huge fan of monk fruit extract, whatever your preferred sweetener is, you can add a tiny bit of that. But I often find that very little is actually needed, especially if you're adding in these other spices. So just kind of experiment with it. But you can always come back to that baseline. That's your standard recipe and then add things in from there and just kind of see how it goes. Now, once that's all mixed together, you're basically just stirring it together and you'll notice as you stir it that it starts almost already getting gel-like, which is great. Once that happens, then you just put it in the fridge. You can do so for a couple hours or you can do so overnight, which I think is really nice. And then it's ready to go. If it is thick, which sometimes it is depending on what kind of coconut milk you get, If it's thick, you can always add more water basically at the time of eating and give it a few minutes, stir it in, and it will become a little bit more liquid, but will jellify pretty quickly still too. That's the beauty about chia seeds. It's just almost foolproof. So I like to have it for breakfast quite often, especially if I'm not really into having eggs or I just want something easy. I don't want to have to cook. Love having it as a breakfast option, but also really great as a snack option, as a midday snack. If you're someone that needs something before dinner or something like that, great option. And obviously, as you can tell, it's dairy-free, it's grain-free, it's ketogenic, it's paleo, super easy and really good. It really does taste good. So I think you all should try that and experiment and let me know if you come up with a good combination of what you put into your chia seed pudding that we could try. All right, let's get into today's topic about ketone testing. So I know I've gone over in several episodes, I believe, a lot about ketone testing already, but I do think it's something that bears to be repeated and something that I think a whole episode about would be really handy to have around where we're all we're talking about is that. So we have a reference point. So that's what we're doing today. As I mentioned, this is a topic that is probably the biggest topic, I think, of questions, but then also just in the keto community because it is something that's very specific to this way of eating and to our lifestyle is that we test our ketones. And that's really nothing that is similar in any other way of eating or eating style, right? So it's very specific. It's also pretty confusing, especially as you're just starting out and getting into this diet. It's like, you don't know what anything means. You don't know if you should be testing, if you have to, what way to go. So we're just going to do it all today, right now. And even for you veterans out there, I think you might still find some really good information as to understand what your numbers mean. So even if you're someone that's consistently in ketosis and you have high readings or you have low readings, or sometimes you're not in ketosis, even though you did the same exact thing correct the day before, all these things that come up. So let's chat about it. First, let's go through the three different options for testing ketones. You can test your ketones through blood 
breath, or urine. Those are basically the three options out there. And what's fascinating is that those three are correlated to the three different types, basically, of ketones, which I mentioned last week, acetone, acetoacetate, and beta-hydroxybutyrate. So basically, whichever one you're choosing to test is testing a different form of ketone. Starting with urine, which I think by now you probably all know that I do not recommend testing with urine strips. I know that they are super cost effective, but it's just not really a good option because they are going to quickly become inaccurate. And then, you know, if this is something that you're actually going to be doing long term, you're going to start getting results that don't match what's actually happening in your body. And that's pretty frustrating. And I think it's just easier to start right away testing ketones in a way that will be accurate long term. The reason it becomes inaccurate is because you are basically testing spillover acetoacetate. So that's one of the form of ketones, and you're testing the excess of it, which as you progress into a ketogenic state, you're not going to have any excess because you're utilizing it more efficiently. Your body is running on these ketones, so you're not going to have this spillover effect. So suddenly it's going to look like you aren't in ketosis when you actually are, and you're actually even more efficient at it, but yet getting these false readings. It also can be really affected by, obviously, your hydration status. So if you're really dehydrated and you go and test your urine, it's going to come up inaccurate. You know, maybe it'll say you're super deep into ketosis where you're actually not, but it's just because you're dehydrated. So there's way too many variables. Even electrolytes will change your variable, will change your ketone reading. So there's just so much that can throw you off, I think it would cause more questions than anything else. That being said, if you just want to see very short term, say within the first two to three weeks of a ketogenic diet and changing over, if you just want to know right then and there that you're doing keto correctly, quote unquote, and then from there, you're not going to test or you don't care, you'll move on to blood or breath, something like that afterwards. I guess I would be okay with that for a very, very short term, right at the very beginning, making sure you're drinking the proper amount of water. And if you promise not to get super hung up on those readings because there's so many variables. Now, there's breath ketone testing. And this is something that I just recently started having experience with because I got my hands on a breath ketone meter from Ketonics when I was at the Low Carb Universe conference in March. And so I started experimenting with it because I had never had any experience. I didn't really know. I couldn't give you all my kind of opinion and just kind of things I noticed and my thoughts on that because I didn't know. I had never done it before. And so now I have a few months of doing some breath experiments under my belt, which we'll go over. And I just really quickly want to kind of explain to you what it is. So when you're testing breath, you are testing acetone. And acetone is kind of the byproduct of acetoacetate that shows up in your lungs. And that's why we can test using the breath to get a decent measurement. While it's not testing the actual ketone that we use for energy, it is testing the byproduct of the ketone that we use for energy. And so therefore is a pretty real-time indicator of how much of that process is going on in your body at that time. So pretty cool to think about and to see some of the results that come out of this. There's definitely mixed emotion about testing for breath, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. I just wanted to kind of explain what we're testing. So that one's testing the acetone that is a byproduct of acetoacetate. Acetoacetate is kind of that main ketone that's used as a building block for energy. And so it's the byproduct of that. And then we have blood ketone testing, which I think is probably the most common. I think that's safe to say. And for good reason, it's a really efficient and accurate way to test. Blood testing is looking at the beta-hydroxybutyrate. And beta-hydroxybutyrate is the ketone that is found in our blood 
before it gets into the cycle that then makes it energy. So that's, again, putting it very layman's terms. So we have beta-hydroxybutyrate in our blood, and then eventually it goes through this process that turns it into acetoacetate, which then acetoacetate is used to make ATP in our cells, which is energy, like we talked about last week. Now we all know these terms and kind of what they represent. So the thing about blood ketone testing is that it is looking at the kind of what you can think of as spare energy. So those ketones that haven't gone through that process yet, which can provide a little bit of confusion when it comes to testing your ketones. So we're going to go through that and talk about all of those different numbers and what they actually mean and why we may not need to be as obsessed with our numbers as we currently are. All right, so we're going to obviously look at the breath and blood options in a little bit more detail because, as I mentioned, I just don't even think urine test strips are worth it, so not even worth my time, honestly, or your time listening to talk or listen about it. So we're going to move on and just talk about those two because there are some pros and cons to each. Let's go through those pros and cons. With the breath testing, the pro is that you're buying a device once and then you can test a hundred times a day if you want. It's a one-time purchase. You don't have any other equipment or strips or anything like that to buy. It's just the one device, which is an upfront cost. It's not extremely inexpensive, but it is a little bit of an investment, but then it's done. And then, like I said, you could test all day long if you wanted for the rest of your life. And it's really cool. It is pretty accurate. I would say not as accurate as probably some of you are looking for, but it's accurate enough to get a decent idea of if you're in ketosis or not. So that's something we'll talk about with the blood tests and it having the actual number readings. And the current model of the breath meter which is the ketonics breath meter is what I would recommend using. And I will link to the one that I recommend in the show notes so you can check it out and see if that's something you want to invest in. The cool thing with it is it's now an app on your phone. So basically, you either plug it into your computer or you have the battery pack and you charge it up and then it tests your breath and it shows up right away kind of on this like dial in number form your ketone production. It is really cool. It's really convenient. It's nice to have around. It does give a good general idea if you're producing ketones or not, which is good, right? And obviously, you don't have to prick your finger, which some people, and I totally understand, they don't want to do that all the time. It's not super fun to have to get that little pinch in your finger and try to draw blood. So I get that. So I guess the ease and messiness isn't there, potential messiness. Now, the cons, here are some cons. This is kind of something that I've noticed over my couple months of using the ketonics is that first of all, and this is why I'm not saying it's super accurate, I did find some random variables. I don't know what they were. I don't really know how to even know what happened, but there were some times when I would test via blood and it would be kind of what I expected to be as my reading. And then I would test via breath within the same five minutes and it would just be like skyrocketing levels or really, really low levels. And I think it's just probably a technological issue. So that's something that I have noticed that, like I said, if you don't really care that much, if you're not trying to decipher what foods keep you in ketosis versus don't or anything like that, and you just want to generally know that you're in ketosis and test every once in a while to make sure you're there, then it's probably fine for that. It's just there were some random times that didn't make sense to me. And actually, one of the biggest reasons why I don't love it is because I don't like waiting for the tool to the device to warm up. It takes anywhere from like five to 10 minutes sometimes for it to warm up. And I don't like sitting there waiting for it or, you know, I'll 
get it ready to go and then I'm waiting for it to warm up and then I go do something else and I completely forget about it for an hour and then I have to go go through the process again. So that was probably the biggest turnoff for me was that it took a long time when I just really kind of want to know where my ketones are at and then go on to my life. And the other thing I will say is the technique has to be pretty spot on for you to get an accurate measurement. I think this is probably one of the most overall negative aspects that most people experience is that it's just hard to do. You have to really, really empty your lungs, which honestly, it feels like you're about to pass out sometimes. You're not going to actually pass out, but it kind of feels that way. And it's just not that fun to do. It's definitely not something that I look forward to doing or want to do definitely not more than once a day. That's for sure. So that's something to consider too, is there's probably a lot of people not doing it correctly and because the technique is so specific and then not getting the readings they're looking for and getting frustrated and not understanding why they're not in ketosis, all that stuff. However, they do have a way to a video showing you exactly how to do it on their website. So that does take care of it. It's still, it's just specific and it's something that's really not that fun to do to totally empty your lungs. So those are probably my three top not so great features about testing for breath. All right, let's move on to blood ketone testing, something we're probably most of us are familiar with. And for good reason, like I mentioned, the pros to testing for blood are that it's, I find, really accurate. Now that I have been in a true ketogenic state pretty consistently for the past year and a half, I can kind of pretty much tell you almost within like a couple points where my ketones are at any moment. And not because I test all the time, just because I know how I feel. I know what certain foods do and don't do to my ketone readings. I just have kind of done it. And so I know I actually very rarely test my blood ketones anymore, except when I was kind of doing this experiment with the both at the same time. So it is pretty darn accurate. You get a really good idea. And that's one thing that I love about blood ketone testing is you get these numbers. And those numbers can really be used because of the accuracy to determine how you feel best, where you feel best, which is what I have always said here on Keto for Women to be the main reason for testing, you know, especially once you get into ketosis and you know you're there, then you you can use that testing tool to show you kind of where your sweet spot is, where you feel the best, what ketone readings provide you with the energy and the mood and the clarity and the satiety that you're looking for. That's how I love to use it. I love to also use it to, I'm kind of like a a nerd when it comes to this stuff. And I like to see how certain foods affect my ketones. That's something I did within the, probably the first six months or so of being in ketosis. And then I kind of got a really good idea and now don't do that that much, but it's fun to do. Use yourself as a little experiment and it does seem to be pretty accurate. So really, that's the biggest draw to blood ketone testing is just you can't really beat that anywhere else. It's really nice to have that accuracy and reliability there for you. Now, some of the negatives, which I don't think are too big of a deal, but something we need to talk about is that, yeah, you do have to prick your finger. And so you do have to kind of see your blood. It does pinch a teeny tiny bit for about 0.05 seconds, really short amount of time. But it does it does hurt a tiny bit for a little bit of time. It's a real thing. And so if that's just not your thing, then that would be something to consider. It's also expensive or can be. And I know luckily we now have more options out there. I still really like the Precision Extra. That's what I use. And I just buy the strips, especially now that I don't test that often. I just buy them from Amazon. And I have to say that since other options have come out, the strips have gotten much, much, much cheaper to get the Precision Extra if that's something that you already had and you don't want to buy another meter They're definitely trying to be competitive with some of the other options out there. And the other option is the best ketone test, that Keto Mojo, 
which both I have linked in the show notes. And I always have these linked, by the way, because like I said, it's one of the biggest questions I get. So it's always, I know people are going to be looking at that when they're listening to a ketogenic podcast. So they're always linked, but you can go to any episode and, and get that information and see which one works for you. But regardless, you still, you have to buy the meter You have to then buy test strips as you go. It's kind of a reoccurring charge, especially if you're someone that does like to test a lot, which I don't really recommend. But if you do, you do. No big deal. So that's something to also keep in mind. And then I think that while the accuracy is definitely the biggest benefit to blood ketone testing, there is some variance within that. There will be some times when you have readings that don't make sense or aren't what you think they should be. And we'll talk about those because I don't think it's a negative, but it's something to know. And then once you know that, it being a con kind of goes out the window because you just know when to test and, and what it means. So let's chat about that quickly. The best time to test your blood ketones is going to be somewhere mid to late day with there being at least, I'd say, two hours since you've eaten a meal and at least about two hours since you've eaten food and at least two hours since you've done a, a workout. If you do that, so I really like to test kind of late afternoon, before dinner, that kind of thing, because I work out in the morning, so it's a really good time for me to test. If you test in the morning, sometimes it's going to give you a a reading that's really low because you are having kind of that quote-unquote dawn effect that we talked about a few episodes ago where you do have a little bit more glucose going on throughout your system just as that wake-up process that our body does. And so it might give you kind of a, a false low reading, which is not false. It's just not showing you how deep into ketosis you truly are the rest of the time. So we just find that period of time where that wouldn't come into effect. And also blood ketone testing is reactive to food because, again, as soon as you eat, if you have a glucose response, then that's going to shift your ketones down a little bit just during that process where your body's kind of taking in the glucose, may have some insulin impact. Even if it is a super ketogenic meal, there still might be a little impact there. And the same thing goes for working out or being active. If you work out, you're using so many ketones, so much of that energy, that then there's going to be less excess in your blood and it will look like you are having a low reading when in reality, your body's just using it. So if we give ourselves that time and that space before testing, it will give you the most accurate reading. So once you know that, now it's not really a big concern of, that's not really a con, it's just something that you need to know. As long as you do that in that window, you're going to have pretty good, accurate readings. Okay, so now that we know the difference and you have the pros and cons and you can determine what is the best option for you and which one you'd like to use, or maybe you want to do both, maybe you don't want to do any, and we'll talk about that, no big deal. But if you do, I have a little bit more information to help you understand what your readings mean. And this specifically goes for the blood ketone testing because we do have that accuracy available. We do have those numbers that will really help us determine kind of our range of ketosis and how we're doing. So there is some variables we need to consider within that too. So let's talk about that. First of all, The place you want to be where it is technically nutritional ketosis is between 0.5 to 3.0 millimolar, and that will be the number that shows up when you are testing your blood. After you put it into the meter, it'll count down and it will show you a number will pop up with that, and that's your current state of nutritional ketosis. And like I said, we want to be between 0.5 and 3.0. Now, On some ketone tests, on some devices, if you are 0.5 or lower, it's just going to say low, L-O. It's just going to be say low. And it won't show anything beyond that until you are 0.5 or higher. Some tests will actually show you the number and I'll say 0.2 or 0.3, something like that. And then you just know that you're not 
in nutritional ketosis. I don't want to say this is a con to testing blood, but it is really something to consider in that there are a few reasons as to why this number may be slightly off from what you're experiencing. If you are consistently low, and this is where we really have to take into account how you feel too and how what you're noticing about being in ketosis or not, are you feeling some of those effects or not? Because that in combination with your numbers is really what we care about. But as far as the numbers go, if you're someone who is consistently in that low range, you can't get to the 0.5, no matter how hard you try, no matter how much fat you're eating, there's a couple reasons why. First of all, it could be because you are potentially still healing your blood sugar. Because studies show this all the time, as your blood glucose levels come into range, your ketone levels go up. So if you have a high blood sugar level, you're going to have a lower ketone reading and vice versa. So as you heal your blood sugar, which obviously takes time, then you may notice that those ketone readings start creeping up too, and you're able to get into what is technically nutritional ketosis with that above 0.5 reading. So that's one reason. It could also be because you think you're eating a ketogenic diet and you're not eating a true ketogenic diet, which that's kind of one of my biggest pieces of advice is to eat more fat if you aren't getting the ketone readings you're looking for. It could also be lack of sleep, stress level, time of the month for us ladies that are cycling. I guess what I'm trying to say is that when you're in this range that's not quite nutritional ketosis, there's a lot of other factors involved that are could be lifestyle factors, could be dietary factors that could be keeping you from getting into ketosis. I will say, though, that probably the biggest thing that I see is that women just need to eat more fat. I know it's hard. I know you feel like you're already eating a lot. It doesn't have to be like this forever, but in order to really teach your body that process, if you can get more fat in for a period of time, lower your protein intake a little bit, lower your carb intake a little bit if needed, and get those ketones produced, your body will definitely continue that process. And then down the road, there can be less fat intake and you'll still produce those ketones. So this is upon initial transition into ketosis where this might be experienced and that higher fat intake will really, really help. Now, there's also the case where you could be kind of on the high end of this range where say you're at 3.0 or above. And this happens for a few reasons. One, if you're fasting, quite often it will get to these higher readings. Also remember, like I just said, your ketone readings fluctuate with your blood sugar readings. So if you're low blood sugar, potentially even in this hypoglycemic state, it might show up as really high ketones. And that's equally not good. That's not something that you want. So something to keep in mind and maybe start testing your blood sugar as well when you're having those high numbers to see how they correlate. Also, I see this happen really quite commonly in women when they start a ketogenic diet as they go from not producing any ketones to all of a sudden being at like 4.0. And what's actually happening is you're starting the process of a ketogenic state but you're not actually, you haven't quite made the switch yet to where you're utilizing the ketones you're producing efficiently in your tissues and you know organs and muscles and brain and all that stuff. So it shows up as higher in the blood because you haven't actually started to utilize them as effectively as you will once you keep going. So then you'll notice as you continue on with what you're doing that then you drop down into the ones and twos and kind of over the next couple of weeks, and that becomes more stable and more accurate. So as you can see, it's definitely not a case of the higher the number, the better. It's honestly just being somewhere within that range to where you know you're producing the ketones, but you're also getting the benefits. And that's why I say you really can't just look at that number to figure out how ketogenic you are or how your keto diet's going. Because there are people that have a reading of 3.5, they're not actually using their ketones, so they still feel terrible. They still feel foggy. They feel like they're in the keto flu still. 
they just don't feel good. Whereas there's people that are have a reading of 0.4, but they feel amazing. They feel really good. And when that happens, and especially if that's something where you kind of have been there for a while, and if you have previously been in this range of 0.5 to 3.0, and then sometimes you drop down to 0.4 and you're like, why did that happen? I've done the same exact thing. It could just be that your body is actually, for whatever reason that day, using more ketones than usual. And so you're seeing that slightly low number. So not something to be super concerned about if you feel really, really good. Because really what this all is coming down to is that you have to remember when you're testing your blood, you're testing the ketones that are in excess, the ketones that your body's not using right now. So if you keep that in mind, then I think it makes it a little bit less stressful. You know, you give your, maybe your body a little bit of grace if you are having a lower number than you think you should. But it also gives you some clarity too if you're having a higher number than you think you should as to what's going on. So all this said, I think it's still really important that we use this information that we're getting with our blood ketone tester as informational only, not as something to super stress over, especially now that I've gone over all the reasons why it could be off, which is a lot, and what could be going on in your body when you get a certain reading. I think it's still, it's just informational. Use it to learn more about your body. Don't test more than once a day. I mean, that's, first of all, a lot of money, but it's just too much with all the variables and you know, how intricate our bodies are, how much goes on in every second of our bodies. It's just a little too rigid of a plan to really try to test more than once a day. I personally think if you know you're eating a ketogenic way of eating and you know you're getting plenty of fat and you're moderating your protein and lowering your carbs, if you feel like you've got that down, then just every couple days maybe do it. And then you'll find that turns into once a week. And then it turns into once a month. And then it's just, oh, I just know. So I'm not even going to, it's not worth it. I know what I need to do or what I don't need to do to keep my levels where I feel best. And that's another good point. It doesn't matter what your number is. It doesn't matter if it's 0.8 where you feel really good or 2.8 and you feel really good. That is totally beside the point. It's going to be different for everybody. Your neighbor is not going to have the same ketone reading as you are, but you're going to both experience some pretty good benefits. You're both chatting away about what you learned on Keto for Women this week, and you talk about your ketones and all the benefits you're feeling from being keto and both experiencing this awesome energy and your brain fog has cleared and you can go five, six hours without eating. You're both experiencing that, but then you compare your notes and one person has way higher readings than the other. It doesn't matter. What matters is what you are experiencing when you're in that ketogenic state. Once you're in that general range It doesn't matter. And it really doesn't matter from one day to the next either. Like I said, there's so many lifestyle factors and other things to consider that if one day you're at 0.5 and the next day you're at 2.5 and then the next day you're at 0.9, it's fine. Not anything to really look into as to, well, what did I do yesterday that's different than today? That's just really getting your head spinning way too much than it has to. It's just not worth it. We can all just, you know, kind of take a step back and just once you're there, you're there. And then just go about life and enjoy your ketogenic meals and enjoy all the benefits that you are feeling. But then also, like we talked about last week, some of these other things that we don't even necessarily feel that are happening in our body when we have ketone production, but that are so important to your health, just live in that space and just keep doing it. It's so great. If you do want to use, and I know I've talked about this before, but I'm going to talk about it again because I do think it's important. It's something I already mentioned, but kind of fun to do. If you do want to use your blood ketone testing to experiment with what works for your body and what doesn't, and I like to say, you know, kind of finding your carb tolerance, if you want to see if your body stays in a ketogenic state after you have a sweet potato, then try it. It's pretty fun. It's pretty cool to do. So what you would do is, you know, have maybe half or a full sweet potato at 
lunch, I don't know, whenever you feel like it. And then either a couple hours later, if you really want to see the immediate impact, you can test your ketones. So give yourself a few hours, at least two, you know, between two and four and test your ketones and see kind of if you're stayed in that range or stayed close to kind of where you feel good. And if not, then not that sweet potato doesn't ever work for you, but you just now know that when you have a half a sweet potato or a whole sweet potato, you will be out of a ketogenic state for a period of time. Not a big deal. I mean, if you are someone that's healing something really specific like diabetes or PCOS or cancer, whatever you're using your ketogenic diet for to help heal, then, you know, obviously you may want to consider whether that's worth it health-wise for you to get out of ketosis for that period of time when you have the sweet potato. And that's something you'll have to decide for yourself, but you know that it's going to happen. Whereas some people will test their ketones after that sweet potato and still be in ketosis or close to where they were. And then you know that it's fine. You'll stay in a ketogenic state when you occasionally have a sweet potato and your body does well with that. You have very little blood sugar response, which means a very little insulin impact and will most likely fit into a good balanced lifestyle plan that we're making out of this quote unquote diet we have here. That's what I really like to see people do with their ketone readings once you have spent time getting into ketosis. So this really isn't something to do for the first probably month or so of your ketogenic diet. I would definitely wait until you are solidly producing ketones for at least a few weeks, you know, so taking the time to slowly transition into ketosis, which is what I recommend for all women, and then getting there and staying there and checking those ketones a few times a week to make sure you're steady-ish. And then you can start kind of seeing how these different variables affect your ketone reading. Again, not something to be super obsessive over and to just spend all day every day testing your ketones, which I've seen people do. And I do not recommend that. But something to kind of give yourself more information about your body and what foods impact you and don't impact you. The only other quick thing I'll say in general, whether you're doing breath, blood, urine, if you just can't get away from that, no matter what you're doing, always remember that it takes time, especially for us women. And a lot of you probably notice the difference if you're doing this with a man in your life and they're all the sudden producing ketones at the perfect level after a week and you are still having issues. It takes you two, three, four weeks before you're even getting any reading at all. It's just because that's who we are. That's what we need to do to heal our bodies. And no matter what, just you eating a ketogenic style meal on a daily basis, making this your thing, that's healing your body. So While it's frustrating to not get that number that you think you should be getting and to feel like you're doing everything right and nothing's changing, just know that all it is is just your body showing that you have some work to do. Maybe you do have a blood sugar issue that you didn't know you had, and you're healing that by eating this low-carb, high-fat diet. And once that gets a little bit more healed, that's when you'll start seeing those numbers come up to where you're technically in ketosis. So just remember, it's a process. It's not immediate. It's not something to stress over or to beat yourself up or your body up if it's not producing ketones right away. It's not something to change up all these things to get that perfect number. Just eat a ketogenic diet. Heal your body. Test your ketones occasionally and see how you're doing and really focus on how you're feeling and make that the priority. And speaking of, if you don't want to test any of this, I'm cool with that too. While I think that testing is really beneficial, I don't think that everyone has to or needs to. If you just want to go by how you're feeling, then do that. If you feel really good, but you don't want to test, well, obviously what you're doing is working. You feel really good. So that's the most important thing. And that's where you can just stay and know you're doing what is working for your body. So there's always that option to not test at all. So keep that in mind too. All right. 
I hope we covered everything. I'm not sure. But of course, if you have any questions, if any of this spurred some additional information that you need, please let me know. Send me questions about testing or any other questions you have about keto for women in general to info at ketoforwomenshow.com and we'll get you on the list for questions for our Q&A episode. Before we move on to what's coming to Keto for Women in the next few weeks, a quick reminder to check out this episode's sponsor, Health IQ, the company that brings life insurance savings to the health conscious. Head to healthiq.com slash keto to take your lifestyle quiz and see if you qualify for a lower rate. That's healthiq.com slash keto. Here's what's coming up next week. We have an awesome interview with Dr. Trudy Deacon, who I met at the Low Carb Universe Conference. I saw her speak, and as soon as I did, I just knew I needed to get her on the show because we have a big misconception when it comes to cholesterol, saturated fats, insulin, just all of this information, and she does such a great job of explaining it in a way that makes sense for us so that we have this information and this knowledge to then potentially go to our doctor or to understand our lab results better than we are potentially being told through our doctor. So it is an amazing interview. I cannot wait for you all to hear it. And then after that, I'm doing a whole episode on keto and poop. Yes, I said it. I kind of work and talk about poop every single day. So it means nothing to me. But yeah, we're talking about digestion because a lot of the things that come up when we switch to a ketogenic diet or we've even been in, in a ketogenic diet for a while are digestive related. There's a lot of symptoms there. So what do they mean and what can you do about it? Where do we go from here? That's coming up beyond and in the next couple weeks. Until then, I hope you all have a great week. I hope you all understand a little bit more about what these numbers mean. But at the end of the day, I hope you all just eat your fatty meals, enjoy your food, enjoy the benefits of eating this way, and don't get too wrapped up in these numbers and the testing. All right, everyone. Talk to you later.